Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> um, looks like we're starting uh, part two. Practice and enlightenment. So um, we can take it to one paragraph at a time. And let's go in alphabetical order. Even though I forget my alphabet sometimes, we might get confused, I hope. <laughs> but um, let's start um, reading. And I guess we start with, I wanna say it's Christian. Um, are, you, are you the first one to read? Think so. Maybe if we're going alphabetical by first name, sure. Yeah, let's, okay. let's, let's do it, let's do it that way. All right. And, uh, see how we go. Sounds great. Okay. All right. Good evening, everybody. So awareness of enlightenment. Just before he died, Shakyamuni Buddha preached on eight awarenesses of enlightenment. That teaching was recorded in Nirvana Sutra, a collection of Buddha's final teachings. When Ili Dojin was dying, he wrote Hachi Dain in Gaku, Eight Awarenesses of the Enlightened Person. This is uh, Dojin's uh, Senji's commentary on Buddha's final teaching in the last chapter of the Shobo Genzo. That's very good, uh, Dan. I think you're next, Daniel. Right? We'll just we'll just try to go on. Okay. Um, the eight great awarenesses taught by Buddha on Daijin uh, are having few desires, knowing how to be satisfied, enjoy serenity and tranquility, exerting precise effort, not forgetting mindfulness, practicing samadhi practicing wisdom and avoiding idle talk. There are eight, but each one contains all the others. So by practicing any of them, we can learn the meaning of effort, mindfulness, oneness, and silence as, as aspect of enlightenment. Donna, are you next? Sorry, I started. I didn't realize I was muted. You were muted. Okay, I couldn't see that. Um, exerting precise effort. When I was in high school, schoolboys in Japan were taught how to fly airplanes by learning a glider. That glider was very simple, but very hard to handle. In order to fly, the pilot has to choose a destination and tell everyone where he is headed for. When it's my turn, I say, that pine tree over there is my mark. Then the other students pull a big rubber rope. 10 or 20 people take more than 30 steps to completely stretch that rope. Then the teacher says, let loose of it, and the glider starts to move. Oh my. I think it's me, right? Yes. 
before the glider moved, I understood everything, how to hold the handle in the proper way, when to lean to the left and right, everything. But the moment when the glider started to move, something happened, boom. The cockpit didn't have any protection for the pilot. So immediately the air pressure hit me hard. Wow, I was very surprised. And when the glider lifts up, the pilot sees only sky and loses sight of his mark. Oh, oh, where is my destination? Even though my intellectual understanding was pretty good, right in the middle of actually flying the glider, when circumstances changed and I lost my mark, I didn't know what to do. There was no room to think. So the glider crashed. Then my teacher scolded me. Why did you do it that way? Well, I don't know why. Next time you should do it such and such a way. Yes, I will do. But the next day, the same thing happened again and again. My teacher scolded me. You did it again. I'm sorry. To fly a glider, you must learn the technique but you cannot fly only by mastering technique. When I lost sight of the mark, I didn't know what to do, but actually you can know. How? Intuitively. If you know the glider and all the circumstances around the glider, including the weather, your physical and mental feelings, and start to fly, your body and mind can catch the life of the glider. When you catch the glider's life, then the glider is not something separate from you. Glider is you and you are the glider. There's no gap between the glider and you because your whole body and mind is exactly the glider itself. Everything is very clear and intuitively, <coughs> you start to move the handle to the right, to the left in the proper way. This is called exerting precise effort. I think it's me. Yes. Thank you. It's the same in dance, sports, or whatever you do. There are fundamental forms you have to learn. You practice doing them again and again, analyzing and synthesizing each, each form and mastering them one by one. But when you dance, there is no chance to think. All you can do is dance. So you forget those forms and just tune into rhythm of dance then your body and mind are dancing itself and dance is exactly comporting itself. When you practice precise effort like this, you are not aiming at something outside yourself. You're aiming at a mark inside yourself. At that time, you can have few designs, experience a sense of satisfaction and enjoy serenity and tranquility, but when I try to learn the gliding, the glider, I didn't have a mark inside myself. So the, the glider crashed with a calm mind. I could have moved the handle of the glider in the proper way and flown in the right direction. So if I want to be a mature pilot, why don't, I why don't I adjust and regulate my body and mind first? Then a peaceful, harmonious rhythm comes up. Very naturally, I tune in to the glider's life. 
the glider tunes into my life and the glider and I are communicating in oneness. That vivid and refreshing activity is true practice. Dogen Zenji emphasizes that practice is preciseness, that practice in preciseness is very clear, but it's difficult to explain what precise effort is. It is something you are doing, but it is not defiled by self-consciousness, so there is no trace of mental discrimination. You are not thinking about whether you will hit or miss your mark. You just hit the bullseye exactly with one stroke. This is exerting precise effort. Through practicing the arts or sports, you can come close to realizing the meaning of life. But in Zen, we practice catching the rhythm of life itself. How do you catch that rhythm? Well, we don't know exactly because Zen practice is not something you can analyze. It is just something vividly alive. Still, if you practice according to certain rules, you can do it. You can catch the harmonious rhythm of the practice you have done for many years. When you practice zazen, sit down on your cushion and just tune into the rhythm of the universe, which includes your life, your knowledge, your emotions, your consciousness, and all the circumstances around you. <clears throat> then face your life directly and hit the mark inside yourself. Not forgetting mindfulness. If you want to travel, there must be a destination toward which to go. If you want to practice precise effort, there must be a, a target for you to aim at. That is mindfulness. Not forgetting mindfulness is the fifth one of Buddhist of Buddha's eight great awarenesses. By making every possible effort to deal with daily life on the basis of having few desires, knowing how to be satisfied, enjoying serenity and tranquility, and exerting precise effort, very naturally you reach the level of not forgetting mindfulness. Mindfulness is characterized by three points, peace, harmony, and preservation. The peace of mindfulness is the state of settling the small self in the big self. You can aim at this target every day in whatever you do. For example, the moment when you open a door is your time and opportunity to tune into the rhythm of life of the door. So when you encounter a door that you must pass through, don't see the door with your limited understanding and open the door carelessly. Open yourself to the door first, then open the door, pass through and close the door, but not with a bang, close the door with careful attention. Don't be in a rush. This is the practice of having few desires. Um, by opening yourself to a door, you can realize the true quality of practicing few desires because satisfaction appears and you enjoy serenity and tranquility. Tranquility enables you to handle 
the door very quietly. And by this quiet action, you create a harmonious mood between the door and, your, and you. When you deal with a door like this, you hit the bullseye of the door with one stroke and become you as you really are. This you is not the self you understand egoistically. This you is not you. Not you is you who has merged with the door. At that time, you experience peaceful spiritual communication with the door, communion with the door. You are there, but you are not only you, you are also the door. So you are you and also not you because you are you and the door. Only a Zen practitioner would understand that paragraph. <laughs> I have a whole new perspective on doors now. <laughs> All right. Your body and mind is not only yours, but also the body and mind of others. So before you open a door, forget your small self. Don't grumble. Settle yourself in the big self. Face the door and just see it. See the door as Buddha. When you forget yourself and just open the door, at that time, your life is really confirmed and supported by the door. Your circumstances, the people around you and all beings. Then your life is broad, universal life, because it contains not only the door, but also all sentient beings. That is why in the Shobogenzo, oh, Shobogenzo Genjo Koan, Dogen says, to be confirmed by all beings is to be free from your body and mind and the body and mind of others. In other words, the body and mind that creates dualistic ideas of self and other has disappeared and only one true self remains. This oneness is the peace of mindfulness. The harmony of mindfulness is, how do you pronounce that? Allegiance. Thank you. It's allegiance and submission to the truth of constant change, the rhythm of the universe, which is called Dharma. This aspect of mindfulness is closely related to two practices of the eight Fold noble path thought 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 no noble path thought I know how do you say that thought, that's right yeah it's thought yeah that's you, you got it of teach yeah by Shakamuni Buddha right understanding and right thinking we submit the Dharma using right understanding and right thinking to understand that Dharma is exactly, but we can see that everything in the world, in the human world is changing constantly. So there's no reason to stay attached to the fixed idea of self-created by our individual consciousness. Also, there's no reason to stay stuck in the objects of our thought. When you accept and submit to this truth, you can stand up straight in the realm of constant change. You can think deeply, paying careful attention to the world around you, 
and figure out how to put right understanding and right thinking into practice. When right understanding and right thinking are working in your daily life, this is the perfect harmony of mindfulness. Preservation of mindfulness is to continue the practice of mindfulness under all circumstances. It's being like a mother bird sitting on her egg and never stopping until it hatches. In human life, there are always difficulties that exhaust your physical and mental energies. You want to give up. But if you give up, you do not become free. You become nervous. So we just keep going and continually submit ourselves to Dharma. If you are successful in your business, you are not infatuated with success. You just take care of business with a calm mind. If you do something wrong, you are not obsessed with your mistake. You just aim at the bullseye of mindfulness and continue to breathe. Sakyamuni Buddha gave us three practices for preservation of mindfulness. In the Nirvana Sutra, he said, if you seek both a good teacher and good protection and support, nothing is better than not forgetting mindfulness. So first, seek a good teacher. Good teachers constantly give teaching to all beings, not only to human beings, and not only with the mouth. Even without saying anything, he or she can always teach with his body, with her mind. Second, think deeply about the meaning of the teaching you see and hear because it is good protection for you. Be mindful of the truth. Everything is moving together in a stream of harmonious rhythm, which is constantly supporting your life. Third, put mindfulness into practice in your daily living. In spiritual life, we try to live mindfully every day, tuning in and being present in the harmonious rhythm of life. We have to learn how to tune in because what we do influences ourselves and others. When you get up in the morning, you don't get up by yourself. You're getting, you're getting up is activity that connects all beings, influencing all beings. So it must be activity that is confirmed by all beings and helping all beings. It's a beautiful thought. Um, when your activity is peaceful and your life is harmonious, it is called right mindfulness or not forgetting mindfulness. Practicing mindfulness as an awareness of enlightenment is unifying your mind. Zen practice retreats are called seshin. In Japanese, ses is to collect or put together. And shin is the mind. So the meaning of seshin is to unify the mind. That mind is the one mind of the universe, which is now your mind. Your unified mind is lots of minds collected as one. This is called mindfulness. This mindfulness is your destination, your great target to aim at. So settle your small self in the big self. Submit yourself to the rhythm of the universe and continue doing this under all circumstances. 
very naturally you will be you will open your eyes and hit the bullseye immediately you realize your life in peace and harmony and dwell in the dharma dwelling in the dharma means there is transparency between the universe and you a door in you or breathing in you this is called samadhi or one pointedness this sublime state is what we are seeking for Emily? So Donna was next? Oh, I just read Ellen was, was, May, um, I was muted. Sorry. <laughs> uh, practicing samadhi. By practicing mindfulness and unifying your mind very naturally, you experience samadhi, the sixth awareness of enlightenment. Samadhi is sort of a huge dike that protects the water of wisdom in, in, hearing, in, hearing and, in hearing in all of us. The ground of your life is unfathomable, but fresh water is always there. If you want it, adjust your body and mind. Water immediately comes up from the ground. That is the right practice. Zazen is a very simple manifestation of samadhi. That is why we do Zazen. Dogen Zenji mentions in Gakudo Yojin Shu, points to watch in Buddhist training. Translated by Yuho Yokoi, the Buddha Shakyamuni said, turning the sound perceiving stream of the mind inward, forsake knowing and being known. Herein lies the meaning of the above. The two qualities of movement and non-movement have not appeared at all. This is true harmony. The sound preceding stream of mind is our human consciousness. We can turn that stream away from dualistic thought and toward its proper destination, one-pointedness. That is why in Fukan uh, Zenji, Rules for Zazen, translated by Norman Waddell and Maseo Abi, Dogen says, you should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding. Pursing words and following after speech and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will manifest. That is true. So keep turning the stream of mind away from your dualistic thoughts and inward to the energy of your life. That is our Zazen practice. Learn the technique of Zazen and then practice it again and again until technique is not technique. Follow it until it penetrates your skin, muscle, bone, and there is no subject that knows and no an object that is known. When you breathe in Sazen, turn your mind into breathing. How? Sit down, take a breath, and tune into the, that breath. There is no particular pattern for how to breathe in Sazen. If you try to control your breath, you create a gap between 
I and my breath. So just pay careful attention to the reality of breathing itself. Just continually, continually breathe. If you see a long breath, turn the stream of your mind into that, into the long breath. Be present with a long breath for a while. If your mind deviates from that breath, just come back and pay attention to the next breath. Concentrate on each breath. Strike and hit each breath exactly with one stroke. Very naturally, your mind and your breath become one. One is between you and breathing and able you to feel that your life is worth living. This is perfection of concentration. Your mind is unified and there is no gap between breath and you. It's just breathing, the rhythm of life. This is Samadhi. When you practice Zazen as Samadhi, your Zazen is not just you. It's the rhythm of the whole universe. All aspects of daily living are great opportunities through which you can experience Samadhi because every moment is a place where you can become one with an event. Instead of always using the energy of your life to create subject and object, Sometimes use it to unify your body and mind in samadhi. Then your self-centered consciousness completely drops off and you can see the immensity of your life. Real silence. When you connect your individual body and mind with the universal body and mind, you see the total panoramic picture of the human world. That is practicing wisdom the seventh awareness of enlightenment. At that time, there are no words. There is nothing to hear, nothing to say. Silence. Very naturally, you avoid idle talk. That is the eighth awareness. The opportunity to go deep into your life and practice, real silence is always open to everyone. But people are always chattering and making noise. Noise is constantly spreading in the horizontal like the rings made by drops of water. If one person chatters very naturally, the next person says, yeah, that's right, or I don't agree. I always say, keep your mouth shut. But even if you stop talking and stay silent, it's not real silence. It's silence conceptualized by you. Talking is still there because your silence is just the other side of talking. The real practice of silence is not just keeping your mouth shut. It is directly participating in oneness and seeing silence in terms of the whole universe. That is silence seen from Buddha's eye. And a great mm. passage to, to cut and paste. Yeah. Whoever's doing that. <laughs> Kim. In real silence, there is communion. For example, if you suddenly encounter a deer in nature, you are shocked. You are speechless. There is energy moving between you and the deer. The deer and you are communicating but you cannot 
say anything at all because there is no word. That no word is the word of true actual silence. It means you have touched the true nature of the deer's life. At the time, you, you and the deer are one. That is what I mean by practicing silence. How do you do that? Well, train yourself. Train your consciousness, your body, your five skandhas. Every aspect of your life is an opportunity given to you to practice silence. It's not so easy. I have been talking about Buddhist teaching for many years. I always try to touch something silent behind my words to say something more than noise. I try, but I don't know. It's still noise. My talks are nothing but noise and chatter, blah, blah, blah. I have never felt satisfied from my talks. After my talks, I always feel disappointed, just like a painter. A painter is always trying to paint a masterpiece, but he or she is never satisfied. The more you are serious about your practice, the more you realize this. Pretty interesting to hear him uh, admit that, isn't that? Isn't mm -hmm. it? You know, because the teaching just sounds so absolute and yet there's this human experience, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's interesting in the next um, paragraph where he talks about constantly being asked to talk because he's a teacher and that he indicates he cannot escape this suffering, that he calls it suffering. Mm -hmm. I find that really interesting. Yeah, we'll have to read. read well, let's, go, let's go on and, and, and read that one. <laughs> Is it Emily? Is Emily there? Yeah. Sometimes I want to stop talking and be quiet. But wherever I may go, people constantly ask me to talk. I am a teacher, so I cannot escape this suffering. That's pretty hard. But this is a very good lesson for me. What is the lesson? Whatever happens, there is always an opportunity to return to real silence. You know, when I've been in the presence of a teacher who's really um, resonates with me, you get the sense that there's silence behind what they're saying. Yeah, you know? I agree, Gail. You I know, it, it kind of evokes that in you, you know. I also think that some of the best teachers um, are really focused on giving a teaching and saying something that allows other people to talk and respond and uh, cultivate their own perspective and viewpoint on it. And so there is often time when there's silence um, mm. and the teacher's listening, which the best teachers are great listeners, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, is it me? I think so. The opportunity to experience real silence is like a huge pole driven straight into the ground. What I have to do is stop exactly right in front of that pole, go deep and forget myself. Then I can build up my life on the foundation of oneness. Again and again, I have to try to return to the silence behind the blah, 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 and just be there, seeing silence in terms of Buddha's eye. 
then I can let my words come up from silence. I can simply take one step and start to talk. Kim? If you hear my simple words coming up from silence, then you will get a big shock. Just like seeing a deer, something touches your heart and you are very surprised. You cannot move an inch. Suddenly we are communicating with each other very deeply. Then very naturally we can walk and talk together in silence in peace and with joy. I've, I've heard of Japanese calligraphers uh, spending a long time in meditation before they make that brush bark or an Enzo or something like that. And I think that uh, is coming from silence. And there's something in Judaism where you're not supposed to say a prayer until you meditate for an hour. So that's a similar thing, I think you know, until you can come to a place where you can really say it. Yeah, it's almost as if your mind um, has to come to some sort of stop so that something else can move, you know. <laughs> kind of like that. Um, are we going now? Are we, we're supposed to read until eight. So I guess we're going to start the next chapter. Is that right, Kim? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Oh, I think it's me. Okay. Yes. Um, let the flower of your life force bloom. Plum trees in Japan bloom right in midwinter in a world of complete wetness. It's very beautiful. beautiful. Everything is covered with snow when all of a sudden the scarlet flowers bloom. Can you see the situation when the plum trees blossom? The whole world blooms. The whole world is embraced by blooming flowers. Even though this world is covered with snow, it is nothing but flowers. This is pairing. Which comes first, spring or bloom flower? <clears throat> Which comes first, spring or bloom, blooming flowers? That question is just human speculation. Reality is that blooming flowers and spring appear simultaneously. Yogan Zenzi always presents the panorama picture of one thing working with the whole universe. In Shobos and so Baker, the blossoms gestated by Kazuaki, Tanahashi, and Mel Westman, Logan says, when the old plum tree suddenly opens, the world of blossoming flowers arises. At the moment, when the world of blossoming flowers arises, spring arises. There is a single blossom that opens five blossoms. At this moment of a single blossom, there are three, four, and five blossoms, hundreds, thousands, miles, 
billions of blossoms, countless blossoms. Dogen expresses the oneness of plum flowers and all sentient beings. It's difficult to receive and accept that oneness because human speculation, speculation doesn't catch it. But when you read his words, it's really amazing because he represents oneness as something alive. Immediately, it is right in front of you. You are very surprised, amazed, startled. Oneness is not something you can grasp as an idea. That's why you don't believe it. But whether you believe it or not, Dogen constantly expresses this. Using words, he awakens us to the truth. When one flower blooms, the whole world comes into being. If you see one plum flower blooming, you can see the whole world working together with the life of this one flower. Yeah. The Dharma world of oneness. When Shakyamuni Buddha attained enlightenment under the Bodhi tree, he said, I and all sentient beings attain enlightenment simultaneously. At that time, there was no gap between all sentient beings and Shakyamuni. That is non-dualism, complete oneness. The most important point in Buddhist teaching is seeing yourself and others in terms of oneness. Oneness is your original nature. It is the original state of a plum flower's life, a tree's life, pebble's life, a mountain's life, and your life. But oneness is a difficult teaching to understand. You can't get that experience overnight. That's why we practice for the long run. By listening to Buddha's teaching and studying yourself, gradually you realize how egoistical and selfish the human world is. People who have deeply tasted of it realize they cannot depend on the shaku human world, shaky human world. So they seek for something better, a pure and beautiful spiritual world they can believe in. In a sense, that is good. But on the other hand, if you experience something deep in your life, you may become attached to the spiritual world. Perhaps you create an ism, Buddhism, Christianism, or any religion. There are many kinds of isms. If you don't like religion, morality, or ethics, and want complete freedom, this is also an ism. If you don't care, that is an ism. <coughs> Whatever it is you believe in, you may form an intellectual or emotional attachment to your ideas. We create attachments of all sorts, pleasant or unpleasant, connected with our memories, heredity and education. <coughs> Excuse me and our world gets very complicated, then we are always moving toward or away from other people, according to our ideas. This creates problems, so we have to know the aspect of life that goes... <coughs> <coughs> mm. 
and it goes completely beyond both the human world and the spiritual world. That is the Dharma world. The Dharma world is very a very simple world. It is the world of unified life, which is called oneness. The Dharma world is an all-embracing world where the human world and the spiritual world are intimately interacting to produce a greater world. That is called dependent origination. That what causes this mutually interdependent world to function, Dharma. When I was studying with Riran Yamada Roshi, we talked about a child's top painted with, uh, we talked about a child's top painted with many colors. Those colors are the individual worlds of all living beings. When the top spins, the colors forget themselves and merge into other colors. That movement is the pure nature of Dharma. The Dharma world is activity, motion. It is the momentum energy of one moment of time. That one moment is not something to count. It has no length, no width, nothing. It is not a fixed idea. It is an event. Dogen says it is being time. One moment of time is the life of all sentient beings. You cannot escape from time because you are alive within time. The aliveness of your life exists within one moment of time. This one moment of aliveness is called everyday life. So day after day, century after century, all we have to do is live in this moment. This is our Zen practice. In Zen practice, we try to handle the activity of each moment with a clear and open mind. <laughs> Finally, you can experience a total calmness that is brightening your life and filling it with aliveness. Your life is calm and simultaneously alive in a dynamic way. That is peace and harmony, repose and bliss. In Japanese, we call this anjin, peaceful mind. Peaceful mind understands that content of a, the content of a moment. Your own life is interrelating with the life of, of all beings in the universe. And because this moment is unified, all living beings become the permanent furniture of your mind. At that time, you realize your true self. Dogen's flowers from the sky. Flowers in the sky is a traditional Buddhist expression for the illusion, something produced by dualistic human consciousness, like an eye with kataras. Seeing an illusion is something real. But Dogen Zenzi saw the traditional understanding of flowers in the sky as a misunderstanding of Buddha's teaching because it works just on the surface. So in Shobu flowers in the sky, Dogen Zenji examines this expression more deeply 
instead of seeing flowers in the sky, dualistically, Dovan sees it as an expression of one total reality. In Japanese, the character for sky has two meanings. Sky is the vastness of space and also, according to Buddhist philosophy, it is emptiness. The original nature of being, the lively energy of life itself, the lives of all beings, animate and inanimate, are supported by this magnificent energy of being, which is called Buddha. Dogen tries to teach us that all forms, everything you can experience in your six senses, are nothing but the original energy of life, Buddha. So first, everything that exists in the human world, delusion, enlightenment, hell, or hungry ghosts, whatever it is, must be seen and accepted as Buddha. Then we can understand the teaching of Buddhism. Without this understanding, we cannot see how precious and sublime human life is, and Buddha's teaching doesn't make sense. It feels important, that paragraph, to me. Yeah. Oneness and multiplicity. Dogen's Flowers in the Sky, translated by Thomas Cleary, 1986, begins with lines of a poem by the Zen ancestor Bodhidharma. The founder of Zen said, one flower opens with five petals forming a fruit which ripens of its own accord. Bodhidharma seems to be talking about a common natural event, but in terms of Buddha's eye, his poem has a very profound meaning. So to touch the heart and spirit of how one flower is blooming and maturing into fruit, let's see one flower opens these five petals as an expression of unity or oneness. One flower means one Buddha. The whole world is one single Buddha. That is real Buddha, the pure energy at the depth of existence. When that energy functions, the human world blooms. Then within this one Buddha, particular beings appear as five petals or billions of petals. Each time that exists in the human world and every situation in everyday life is a petal. But those petals are not different from the flower. They are all exactly the one flower, Buddha. Buddha is omnipresent because everything is the manifestation of real Buddha. Dogen says, one should study the time of this flower's blooming as well as its light and color. The mul multiplicity of one flower is five petals. The opening of five petals is one flower. If you deeply research the char character of time, you find that time is just life in motion. From moment to moment, the universe is working together as one whole, constantly creating something new. 
In each and every moment, the whole world arises as one being and manifests itself in the multiplicity of the human world. One flower appears and seems to be separate from everything else. By going deeper, we can see that flower as the whole universe. Dogen Zenji tries to train us to do that because the life of one flower is exactly the same as your life. Life is always arising. Blooming as five petals is the arising of a flower's pure life energy as one moment of time. When five petals open, that energy appears in the form of a flower. So we can see the blooming of a flower as the moment of the whole universe, which is manifesting itself as the human world of form. Each moment of time is the unified functioning of the whole world and blooming is its light. What is that light? Dogen said light is the, is the unity of an eyeball and its cornea working as one. When an eyeball functions, simultaneously the whole world arises, colors appear and a flower blooms. So I think the time of a flower blooming is exactly the light and color of a flower blooming. So we're heading toward, uh, I think it's almost eight o'clock, but we have, hmm, one, two, three. We only have about three more paragraphs. Do you wanna go ahead and finish up this section? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, now I forget where I am. <laughs> Give me the beginning of the next paragraph. Um, is it the light and color of your life? Yes, yes. The light and color of your life is your being alive in the human world as the manifestation of Buddha. Aliveness means that wherever you may be, whatever you may do, Buddha is present there. That is your Buddha nature. Even when you are asleep, your heart keeps on beating and your lungs keep on breathing because your life is manifesting the unity of the whole universe. This is real reality. Life with a capital L. Life is alive. The life of all beings is just like this. Dogen teaches us that in every aspect of everyday life, there is a magnificent event. Your everyday life is the blooming of the whole world. And all the activities are five petals. Day by day, flowers are blooming. Flowers of Yasho, bowing. Flowers of Zazen and flowers of having a meal. Then, very naturally, the flower is ripened of its own accord. And it makes your life mature. That is called forming a fruit. Forming a fruit is the great time and the great opportunity where a flower, a gaso, or zazen opens and forms its own result, which is called bodhi mind, enlightenment, nirvana, or practice. Whatever activity you do, you can open your life and fit into your rhythm of this very moment. When you fit into the rhythm of the great energy of being, you feel relief. You realize that you are allowed to live. You are permitted to exist in this world because the world 
the whole world is blooming within your human body. At that time, you become you as you really are, and your existence very naturally becomes just what it is, just what is. Sometimes we say as it is, as it isness or thoseness. You are exactly there, alone, just what is. This is a true human being. Hey, I think we stop here. And um, so that's a lot. But we have we have 10 minutes, I believe, to um, kind of uh, maybe jot down or write a little bit about what we've been reading and anything it evoked for you. So, uh, Kim, can you do the, or should I just say, go? <laughs> <laughs> Night, everybody. <laughs> See you next week. There's my cursor. Um, so, did that bring up something that uh, someone might want to share? Well, for me, um, I, I was thinking again about the, you know, the reminder not to, you know, everything is not to, um, but how important this is in my daily life of not trying to separate out someone as, as being something that my conditioning or my um, cultural framework identifies them as, and instead having the belief, which is sometimes hard to do, that that Buddha nature is inherent in that person, place, or thing also, just as it is in me. Um, that's, that's what that brought up for me, is just how hard that is. Yes. Yeah, I found the um, uh, several parts of the reading very actually comforting and relaxing to me. <laughs> um, I especially liked um, the end when he says that um, we can fit into the rhythm of the moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm really busy uh, in my life trying to manage the next moment or thinking about the last moment, but just this idea of relaxing into the actual moment, which is the only moment where everything, where life is right there, you know, um, I love to be reminded of that, you know, that that's all you need to do really is just relax into the moment that's happening, you know, so I, I, um, I wrote a little bit about that and um, I uh, wanted to share, we went to a retreat years ago. Um, it was a seven day silent retreat. And um, I was really uh, seeking hard and just filled with thoughts of, you know, breaking through and 
the silence and having an experience and waking up and you know all those things all those thoughts and then I was taking a, a walk during one of the breaks and I noticed uh, we were up in um, up in the mountains in the high Sierras um, actually it was Lake Tahoe and it was spring just beginning of spring still snow on the ground and there was a, um, a bush with some flowers on it just like he talked about and I just started to notice that the flowers were getting ready to bloom but they probably had no thoughts going on about when am I going to bloom and am I going to be a big bloom or a small bloom or is it going to be today or tomorrow and um, I noticed that some had bloomed from the day before because I'd done the same walk you know and I thought wow you know why can't I be this relaxed <laughs> you know just like the flowers so that's what it made me think about Yeah, I had a couple of things stand out. Whoops, that weird echo. Um, you know, the whole idea of like the oneness of the universe, I think is a pretty fascinating one. It's also can be hard to kind of get your head, your head around. And, you know, another thing that, that occurred to me is how, you know, we all just to what you're saying, Gail, you know, we also often think about the present moment. And we think in like three ways, we think of the past, the present and the future. And, you know, those are illusions unto themselves, right? Because, you know, scientists have tried to look at, okay, well, when does the past end? When is the exact time where the past ends and the present starts? And when does the present um, end and the future starts? When, how do we pinpoint those exact moments? And it can't be done. Um, it's all an illusion. So it's all unified. It's all one thing. And um, when you think about it, and so there's, uh, I like the part where it talks about defining mindfulness too, where it says, you know, it breaks down mind and fullness. And it says that, you know, the whole idea of, um, you know, what my, you know, mindfulness is. And it occurred to me that another way to think of that would be sort of in a creative, a creative version of that would be mindful of the universe, right? Um, of sort of that oneness of the universe. Um, that's sort of a, um, another way to think. Our mind is full of the universe because it's all oneness. So, I like that. What came up for me, um, I, I find it quite easy and I don't know why to see um, me as the universe looking at myself and the universe looking back at me. And that's actually a beautiful um, part of going through my day because I look out at y'all at, you know, Texas <laughs> Buddhist look out at y'all and uh, you're so beautiful. And I look out at the world and it's so beautiful and the universe. And I think, Oh my gosh, I'm beautiful. Everything's beautiful. It's just all so beautiful. Um, but while we were reading this, and while we were reading this, I don't want to negate it, this tremendous sense of responsibility in that knowing that I am intimately connected with everything um, came up like, oh, it is so important that I hold my words and my life and my actions and my interactions with such tender care 
toward everything. So there was this huge sense of responsibility, but in a way there was also this huge sense of freedom because all I have to do is hold myself and everything like I would hold my son when he was a baby. That's all. That's very simple. That's very easy. That's, it's easy to do that. And so what arose in me um, was a real sense of reverence for everything. Just this incredible sense of how, uh, and not in, a, not in a religious way, but, but how holy everything is. And it, it was just such a beautiful, warm feeling. Where I get most tripped up, as some of you may or may not be aware, is I, I, I can hold the universe and myself as one, the co- all creation. You know, the rock and I are the same. The, the little gnat is, and I are the same. My doggy and I are the same Buddha energy. Where I get tripped up is when some of these things that are me, whether it's my emotions or people outside of me, um, come into this space and time with an energy that bowls me over. Usually it's negative. Um, and so it feels like a, a, a tsunami. Um, and it brings up all those emotions that, that are like cataracts and blind me. And what I, what I constantly lose sight of um, is that it's like riding a wave, you know, when, when a big wave comes, you don't tense up and you don't get scared. You just relax and just go with the flow of the wave and you may survive. And um, I know with this practice, if I just relax and release the fear of when those life events come up that my constructs tell me are dangerous or, or that evoke fear, um, that if I just ride the wave and, and accept it, and you see this in surfers, you know, that huge wave comes, they, they just ride it, and they actually thoroughly enjoy it and go out and do it again. And um, that's what came up with this reading for me. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful to feel unified with a beautiful tree and a puppy dog and a, and a sunset, but it's a little hard to feel that same sense of unity, you know, with, like you said, those, those uh, energies that trigger us, you know, or those, that's why we practice, right? Yeah. I got inspiration to consider the day as the unfolding of a flower. Uh, because I definitely thought when he mentioned, you know, when you are in, uh, when you confront like a deer, and it's a beautiful, magical moment when you're quiet and you're with the deer. And it's so easy to like tap into the oneness of everything in that moment. But it's not easy to tap into the oneness of everything when somebody is saying something you don't want to hear in the course of your day or, um, you have to do something, but you're tired. You know, that, that is the challenge as, as I think Nelda may have been sort of talking about. So uh, I will definitely strive to consider uh, using that, that metaphor 
of looking at the day as a flower. Malene, did you have your hand up? Yes, um, I, I wanted to probably continue what Emily was saying. I, I'm always very excited about this kind of reading and um, trying to understand it, understand it and to practice it. And I have always had a fascination for deers. And when I first went to Austin and I saw deers in the backyard of the house where I was staying or in the Greenbelt, I, I was like uh, just thrilled. And I really liked this metaphor of the author. And um, I recently decided to continue my artistic practice that I have left behind. And I just wrote, um, well, probably this is not even well written, as you can note. I'm not speaking well today. But I wrote, um, I once saw a deer, but it was yet still a deer. I made a small video in the Greenbelt last year when I saw a deer, but I realized that I need to continue practicing, practicing in order that deer do not be a deer. Thank you. You know, there's a lovely um, poem. I don't know, Kim, if you remember, or um, Stephanie, if you heard Flint say it, um, but there was a woman, uh, I forget the poet. At any rate, uh, she hit a deer with her car and actually sat with it as it died. And it was one of the most beautiful poems I've ever read. And it's kind of what we're talking about. I mean, there's the beautiful sunset and the roses, and then there are all the things we think we don't want. And yet uh, the poem was so beautiful. My heart opened just completely about, you know, her, um, her experience with the dying deer. Yeah, I, mean, I think it really, it really speaks to the whole idea of interdependence, right? I mean, we're, I mean, just, I mean, we're literally descendants of burnout, cosmic stardust, right, that form this planet that we're all descended from, and, you know, little single cell amoebas that, that moved initially, and that we're descendants from a lot down the lines, and Talk about dependent origination and connectivity between all living things, whether it's the trees or the deer or any of those things. I mean, I mean, how could we not be more connected and dependent just literally when you really um, think about it and then can viscerally experience it like you're talking about, Malina? I mean, that's, you know, that's amazing. Daniel, Donna, do either of you have anything? that really struck something in you from tonight? Um, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, um, struck by um, exerting precise effort. Um, but all I really, all I really did was manage to copy down the, this, 
some of the sentences that he wrote about that. And I'll just have to spend the week thinking more about it. So um, it, it's a very, a very Zen idea and it'll be fun to try practicing it. Yeah. Did you notice that all of those um, at the very beginning, the list of the, what is it? The eight uh, great awarenesses that all you really need to do is focus on one because it contains all the others. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. Well, Daniel. <laughs> well, yeah, I was, um, I mean, every time we read those, um, uh, te this text, uh, I find myself learning new meanings of ordinary words. And I feel like sometimes Buddhism makes some of the words more complicated <laughs> for me. Uh, uh, like in this case was the word silence, um, that actually not talking, it's not the real silence. Uh, so yeah, I will look at this um, silence in a different way and still I will have to reread this uh, paragraph multiple times too try to grasp it. What does it really mean to stay in silence? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really good one. Um, I heard of a, um, uh, a woman who's teaching now who actually that was her question. What does stillness mean? What is this silence they keep talking about? And she sat with that for a very long time until, I guess you could say silence revealed itself. <laughs> These questions are really, you know, they can go really deep. Well, is there anything else anybody wants to kind of throw in there in the last seconds? <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say that um, I know that we have several people in this group who um, participate and English is not their first language. And I just want to say how much I appreciate um, you all participating. I really do. You enrich my practice. So thank you. I totally agree. In fact, I have such admiration. <laughs> I really do. It's really, really lovely. Well, I guess we've come to the end. So I really enjoyed tonight and enjoyed being with y'all. Thank you, Gail. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank everybody that, that uh, came in tonight. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. See you next Great week. Night. Honey, honey, honey. <laughs> <laughs>